Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Reserve the USS Shinju today for only $9.95 by visiting eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 254, Lower Decks. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, Lower Decks, the one where the writers realize there are more than seven people on this ship of over 1,000 people. It's good to see some characters that'll really grow into being part of the crew we know and love. Oops, oops, not so fast, Cito, or anyone else for that matter. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... But first, how about a few words from our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery... That's right, I said Discovery Starships collection. Of course, you've heard me and Ken talk about our love for the teeny tiny starships that are made by Eagle Moss, the officially authorized collection from CBS Studios. Well, this collection is full of brand new ships and ship concepts from the designs of CBS's Star Trek Discovery, and each one has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the strict supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. Now, what's very cool is, um, while John mentioned the teeny tiny starships earlier, I mean, I don't want to break your heart. These things aren't life-size. What? They're not one-to-one. But, uh, well, okay. <laughs> but they are bigger than the teeny tiny starships. They're about uh, eight inches from uh, from tip to tail. Uh, the, the, the Shenzhou, um, sadly, it was a short-lived ship. Oh, spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> you get to see a lot more of it than you got to see on Discovery is the point that I'm making, at least uh, mm. the Discovery that we've seen so far. But who knows? It's a weird, It's a weird and wacky thing, this business we call sci-fi. We might get to see more of it later. We might not. I know nothing about what's coming. Anyway, well, I do know about this one thing that could be coming to you. Uh, the, the detail work that they do on it is absolutely incredible. You've seen the detail on the smaller ones. Imagine how much more detail they could give you uh, when they blow it up just a tiny bit. Uh, blowing up the ship not included. Uh, each ship also comes with a display base plus a collector's magazine that tells you all about both the design of the ship, you know, in this world in which we live, and then a bunch of in-universe stuff um, that will tell you more about the ship. Um, well, uh, certainly then you got to see on um, Discovery. <laughs> and a very important note, there are limited quantities of these ships coming in early 2018. So now is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship. That would be the USS Shinzu NCC-1227 for only $9.95 with free shipping. 
Now, you'll actually get the ship on or before January 31st, 2018. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, that's kind of a wait. I mean, depending on when you're listening to this. But, but right now, as we record it, you might be saying that's kind of a wait. Well, here's the thing, though. New models then ship monthly after that. And they'll be delivered directly to your door. So, yeah, you're having to wait for the first one. But once you get the first one, then it's just bam, 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 like once a month, uh, which is um, impressive. <laughs> Subscribers also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every Starship in the series, along with the free shipping that John mentioned a moment ago. Of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time, but then it's just bam. And you remember how good bam, bam, bam sounded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can stop at one bam if you want to. But uh, but then there's so much less discovery. All right. So for details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. That address again, EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. And once again, we do thank EagleMoss for sponsoring Mission Log. John really honestly, truly does have trivia coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And hey, by the way, you can leave comments there, too. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn it over to the Trivia Master. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we present to you, John Champion. Why, thank you for that, Ken. Just a little bit of trivia on today's show, Lower Decks. The story is by Ron Wilkerson and Jean Louise Mathias. Now, we've seen this pairing before on Next Gen. They provided the stories for Imaginary Friend, Schisms, 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 and Lessons. But uh, most of the script work on this episode had actually handed over to Renee Echeverria, uh, since they were under a very tight deadline to finish this episode. So the real trick was to find the right balance between how much of the main cast would be featured and how much of the guest cast would be featured instead. Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller felt that it was best to break the mold here and primarily focus on the guests. And uh, worth noting that this episode was inspired by Upstairs, Downstairs, originally a series that ran 1971 to 1975 in Britain, uh, revived, I believe, in 2010. Ken, did you ever watch any of Upstairs, Downstairs? You know the premise of that show? I do. It was, and I will tell you, I started watching it because I liked Downton Abbey so much. Oh, and then, yeah. And yeah. then Downton Abbey was no longer available to us because, you mm-hmm. know, it ran its course. And I watched the first episode of Upstairs, Downstairs, and that was plenty. <laughs> oh, really? That's, that's all you got through? Okay. I, I, remember wonder, I remember hearing wonderful things about it when I was a kid. Yeah. But man, it just, it, I'm not sure... Of course, we'll be doing the Downton Abbey, uh, not the Downton Abbey podcast, because there are a million yeah. of those. We'll be doing the Upstairs Downstairs podcast in 2073. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will. Uh, but, it, well, it, very brief introduction to that show for those who are not familiar with it. Um, it the idea is that you follow a family who are living in Edwardian England. So uh, I believe it's like 1903 no, uh, or 1908 to about 1930. 
Uh, so across the five seasons, it's going to be a different time period. And then you have the story of the people who are the, the family living upstairs, but then also their servants who are living downstairs. And then you sort of see history unfold through the, the eyes of these different characters. So that was the premise <laughs> there to get a, a taste. Yeah. Also known as Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but, but earlier and with uh, smaller stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today's episode was directed by Gabrielle Beaumont, and uh, we mentioned before uh, that she was the first woman to have a directorial position on Star Trek. Uh, most recently, we saw her work on Face of the Enemy, but we met her way back in season three with Booby Trap. Booby Trap? Uh, yeah, Booby Trap was the huh. episode that, uh, that, uh, that we uh, talked about with her. Yeah, first episode. Mm -hmm. She directed uh, the episode Booby Trap. Yep, yep, uh, yep. For those who were wondering, uh, Gabrielle Beaumont directed Booby Trap. Booby Trap was directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. Oh, and uh, for those of you playing at home with the uh, Mission Log inside jokes, also worth mentioning that she directed Disaster. I don't remember the joke for that. <laughs> you don't? No. And every time I say Disaster, you say Disaster. Do I really? Yeah. I thought I only did that with the ultimate computer. Oh, no, no. Disaster is... Uh, I, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We've been doing this show a while, man. We have. We have. All right. It's true. You may have been wondering about Barclay. Yes, Barclay. Reg Barclay was considered for this episode, um, but it was felt that he was already too known uh, as a recurring guest star on the show. Um, also worth mentioning that this episode premiered in February of 1994. Only a few months earlier in November, Paramount had announced plans for Star Trek Voyager debuting in January 1995. So a lot of viewers assumed that some of the new characters we were meeting here would either go on to be part of the Voyager crew or at least turn up at some point on Deep Space Nine. Hey, uh, welcome back to the shuttle Curie again, last seen in parallels. And uh, speaking of returning props, well, we're also seeing the return of some of those season one uniforms. Yes, those uh, one piece outfits that the cast hated. You would see those in the background very often on uh, non-featured characters, but here they're just, uh, they're just all over the place. You may be asking yourself, who is Niels Diaz? Well, there is a real one who happens to be Rene Echeverria's godfather. He was a nuclear engineering professor in Florida, so his name was immortalized as an engineering genius in this episode of Star Trek. Hey, uh, here's a little thing that um, I never really noticed stuff like this, uh, but did you happen to see, Ken, or maybe some of our listeners did, the, the wooden wedge stuck under the chair at the op station where JAXA is sitting in Act 1? So usually stuff like this is hidden really well. Like you, you have to look way off in a corner to see like uh, the shadow from a boom mic. And sometimes in the HD versions, it's taken out uh, entirely uh, or, you know, it's off screen pretty quickly. Like if the camera moves out of the way, well, this is just dead center <laughs> and it sits on screen for a really long time during some dialogue. So I, uh, I kind of couldn't take my eyes off of that. 
I did not notice that. No, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's just right there. Right there. Um, and uh, let's see, we have a new game featured in 10 Forward. It's called Terrace. And the version that we see here is first published in 1991. Interesting backstory, though. The original game was created in the 50s but it just wasn't working. Uh, the rules didn't make sense. <laughs> so, so the designer sold the idea for 100 bucks in 1988. Buzz Seiler redeveloped it, and that new version ended up winning awards and has gone in and out of publication in different versions ever since. Now let's talk about our guest stars. We welcome back Patty Yasutake as Nurse Ogawa. Jarrett Dahl is played by Don Riley. This is his only Star Trek appearance, and he has a pretty extensive career as a stage actor. Most of his TV work is from the late 80s into the early 2000s. Ben, the waiter, is played by Bruce Beatty. This is also a one-time Trek appearance for Bruce, but he's a pretty busy actor with multiple TV guest roles and also some feature films under his belt, like Falling Down, Dope, and Straight Outta Compton. Torek, the Vulcan, is played by Alexander Enberg. We got a quick glimpse of him in Time's Arrow as a reporter, but here he is with a featured role, and he will be back as a Vulcan, though a different Vulcan, many times on Voyager and as a voice in the Star Trek video games. So why all the Trek connection? Well, his mother is none other than Jerry Taylor. In addition to Star Trek, Alexander has shown up in movies like Pump Up the Volume and the TV movie that was one of Angelina Jolie's breakout roles, Gia. Sam Lavelle is played by Dan Gauthier. He got his start in TV guest roles, which led to recurring spots on some prominent shows like Ellen, Beverly Hills 90210, and Melrose Place, and he has also spent a good deal of time working in soap operas. And finally, Shannon Phil returns as Insensito Jaxa. We first met her and her character in The First Duty. Hope you all remember that story because it plays a little bit of a role in this episode, too. Shannon has only a short resume of on-screen acting roles with the most recent credits from 1995. She's from Texas, but moved to California early and to attend school in California, and has most recently worked as a clinical social worker. Sadly, today, we say goodbye to a favorite next-gen character. I am, of course, referring to Ben. Prologue. Riker and Troy are just so over it with doing crew evaluations. So let's not spend any more time on them. Let's meet the people who are really worried about those evaluations. There's Nurse Agawa. We know her. A Vulcan, Tarek. We don't know him. There's also Sam Lavelle and Cito Jaxa and their waiter, Ben, who lets them know that they are both up for the same job. Act 1. In a battle simulation on the bridge headed by Commander Riker, Ensign Cito is at tactical while Ensign Lavelle is at the helm. They're not bad, but a little green. Just then Picard comes in with a real mission, something important, something secret. It's near the Cardassian border, which leaves the junior officers still on the bridge with some very incomplete information to gossip about. In engineering, Torek is calculating some cutting-edge warp field theories, which impress Geordi, but they're untested and not ready to be implemented just yet. Torek is maybe just a little too eager, and Geordi's interested, but has other things to do. Jumping over to sickbay, 
Nurse Agawa is getting the kind of news the others are anxious about. Promotion? Oh yeah, totally in the bag, so says Dr. Crusher. So don't look here for more dramatic tension. There is a thing, though, with Nurse Ogawa, soon-to-be Lieutenant Ogawa, wondering about her boyfriend being really busy lately, but having to break a date. Crusher says it's nothing. He's just really busy. I repeat, do not look here for more dramatic tension in this episode. Later, Ensign Sito is expressing her concerns to Lieutenant Worf and Ten Forward. She's feeling like she's in over her head, working at Ops was stressful, and she doesn't understand why she's up for the position along with Lavelle. She's a security officer, after all. Worf tells her that he recommended her for the position. Meanwhile, Lavelle is stressing, too. Ben says, look, you need to think about Riker, his superior, as a person, not a position. Connect with him personally. He likes jazz, poker. He's from Canada. Perfect. Lavelle approaches Riker at the bar and makes some small talk about his grandfather being from Canada, at which point Riker reminds him that he's from Alaska. Womp womp. Arriving in the Argaya system, really close to Cardassian space, Worf detects a small escape pod from the bridge. It's super far away, well inside Cardassian space, which leaves them with a challenge to get the thing out. Act 2. The tech will be teched. Data determines that boosting the transporter confinement beam might be enough to get the passenger of that escape pod beamed aboard. Lavelle is right next to him on the bridge as all this goes down, and when the order is relayed to engineering, it's Jordi and Torek who do the work. The call is then placed to the transporter room, and that passenger will be beamed right into sickbay, at which point Beverly tells Nursagawa to beat it. Oh, and who's minding the front door? Well, it's JAXA, of course, under orders to allow only senior staff in that room. So all four of the junior officers have a tiny piece of the puzzle about this mission. Picard visits sickbay for a moment to see how their mystery guest is doing, and on the way out, he sees Insensito. Hey, come with me. And she just seems kind of excited that the captain himself wants to talk to her about something. He asks if she's a pilot, and, and yes, yes, she is. Well, her excitement wears off pretty quickly because once in his ready room, Picard lays into the ensign with the real reason for this meeting. She was part of that kerfuffle a few years ago at the Academy when a cadet was killed during an illegal flight maneuver. Oh yeah, the one with Wesley, when they all tried to cover up what happened. Picard is not happy about how all that went down, not happy that she tried to cover up the truth, and as a matter of fact, he's not too thrilled with the idea that she's serving on the Enterprise for the past seven months. Dismissed. Act 3. Jordy has Tarek carrying out some very unconventional tests on one of the shuttlecraft, specifically firing a phaser rifle at it. He says it's to test hull integrity, but Tarek comments that the blasts he's making are consistent with what it would look like if the shuttle had been fired upon by an attacker. Weird, right? In sickbay, Dr. Crusher tells Nurse Ogawa to prepare for surgery. Their patient is badly injured, and by the way, you're not to tell anyone about this. The patient, that mystery guest, is a Cardassian. Much later, the junior officers and the senior officers are in their own separate poker games, the junior officers are speculating about all the weird stuff going on lately, no one revealing what they actually know. The seniors are talking about the juniors, who's qualified for what. 
There's bluffing. There are smug challenges. There's a lot of questioning what the others are doing. And that's just the professional stuff, not to mention the poker hand. When the games break up, Jordy stops by the junior officers to have Tarek come help him out in engineering. Surprise to Tarek, since he was just trying to figure out why it seems like Jordy doesn't like it when Tarek points out all the ways they could be improving things in their department. Ben steps out and right into the senior officer's poker game, where he also seems right at home. Act 4. Morning time and Encinito is in one of Worf's Klingon Tai Chi or Mukbara classes. When it's over, he pulls her aside and says he'd like to move her into an advanced class, but she'll need to pass the Giktao first. She'll be blindfolded and have to rely on anticipating Worf's attacks. She'll have to let go of her conscious self and act on instinct. But with the blindfold on, how can I see anything? How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. And then Worf pretty much wins at everything. So unlike Luke Skywalker, Insensito realizes that this is an unfair test and takes off the blindfold. That, Worf says, means she just won the challenge by realizing she needed to stand up when she was being unfairly tested. Also, there is no Giktal. Metaphor much? That was the inspiration she needed to confront Picard one more time. She can't change what happened in the past, but she's done exemplary work now. If he doesn't want her on his ship, then she requests a transfer. Hold on. Picard asked for her to be assigned to the Enterprise. It's his way of helping her find redemption for a huge mistake. So now, it's not about the ops position, but Cito will report to the senior officers for an assignment to a dangerous mission. The Cardassian they have on board is a spy for the Federation. He's brought them intelligence, and now he needs to return to Cardassian space. The plan is to have a stolen shuttle, the one they were giving battle damage earlier, and a Bajoran prisoner, that would be her, to sneak past the border guards. Once on the other side, Cito would go into an escape pod and the Enterprise would pick her up. Picard's not ordering her, but Cito volunteers for the mission. She's not to discuss it, with anyone. A stop by Dr. Crusher and Cito herself is given some battle damage. It's just cosmetic, though, enough to make it look like she's been mistreated by the Cardassian captor. Farewell to Worf, and off they go in the shuttle. Act 5. With some time in the shuttle, Cito asks Jorat Dahl why he's doing this. He's seen the Cardassian military devolve, he says, from an institution of protection and security to one of conquest. He's tired of fighting and thinks what his people need is peace. Before long, patrol intercepts the shuttle. Cito knows her part, and she allows herself to be handcuffed to look like she's Jorat's prisoner. Back on board the Enterprise, Torek, Ogawa, and Lavelle are in ten forward trying to put the pieces together. They assume Cito was on the shuttle that left, and the shuttle was heading toward Cardassian space. They're friends, and they each know some little details but they're also officers who are sworn to secrecy. Mood on the bridge is tense. The escape pod is more than 30 hours past due for their rendezvous, and there's no sign of it or sign of life. A probe is launched in an effort to cover more area, and soon after, debris is spotted which is consistent with that of a Federation escape pod. Sometime later, a Cardassian report is intercepted, stating that a pod containing an escaped Bajoran prisoner was destroyed. 
This leaves Captain Picard with the rather solemn duty of reporting Sito's death to the crew, killed in the line of duty. Later in 10 forward, Tarek, Ogawa, and Lavelle are together again, but with one empty seat at the table. Lavelle got his promotion, but he's wondering if he only did because Sito is gone. His friends remind him that they are proud of him, and that the best thing he can do to honor her is to do a great job in his new position. Worf is contemplative and alone, until Ben pops up and gently nudges him to join the others at their table. He was, after all, Sito's friend, too. The end. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank no, you. no problem at all. Uh, Vulcan on Bajoran history, in one mm-hmm. word, meow. What mm-hmm. the heck? I mean, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, what, what, what did Sito say? She's like, oh yeah, we have people like, you know, something big is going to happen with people who like chant for us for 24 hours, which is a constant chant. And mm-hmm. the Vulcan's like, yeah, and look how that's worked out for your planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, uh, this Vulcan, Tarek, he's, he's got a lot of little uh, meow in him anyway. He I does. mean, he's yeah, like, mm, why don't you go to your own room, Lavelle? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's ready. Yeah. I, I see where yeah. the Vulcans get their... Um, well, get one of their reputations anyway, if mm-hmm. he's emblematic. Of course, he is green. Hey, it's a Vulcan joke. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not really green. They just have green tinge and green blood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can we talk about something really important that is just a quick line that is glossed over really fast? Insensito uh, is there with uh, Worf and Tenfor talking about how hard it was being at ops. And one of those jobs, she had to use the onboard sensors to find a lost puppy. There's a lost puppy on board the Enterprise, Ken. I understand. Kind of makes you think they're real, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It's also a little weird to me that she was able to use the sensors to find a lost puppy, but, you know, how Worf or anybody else evades capture is eh, take off the combat. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, she can find a puppy. Couldn't find a Klingon. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find a yeah. Klingon with the sensors if they needed to or wanted to. Yeah. Or was it Jordy, I guess, who would actually take... Well, okay, in fairness, if there was only one puppy that had been manufactured by the ship at the time, then it mm-hmm. should be easy to find. When Jordy took off his comm badge, then they have to set the sensors for... Find a human. Ah, uh, no, look, and as far as I know, there's puppies everywhere, whether they're real or replicated. They're just the ship is crawling with these puppies. OK, be so great. to find a lost one, I think, is a big deal. It'd be yeah. fantastic, wouldn't it? Just like one yeah. episode, they're just puppies running through and nobody even nobody, nobody acknowledges them. Nobody even mentions mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Just like just like a puppy. It's like 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 a wooden wedge laying on screen, except uh, <laughs> right in puppy form. Yes. Yeah, I like it. Um Picard really lays into Insensito and he says, you should have been expelled for what you did. He doesn't even want her on the Enterprise. Oh, but uh, Wesley's cool. We're we're cool with Wesley. Like, I, I practically had to beat it out of him to tell the truth. But, uh, yeah, we're we're fine with Wesley. But yeah. You, well, you, ma'am. We yeah. know we know Wesley. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, if, if there's one thing we've learned about the crew of the Enterprise the crew of the Enterprise has the crew of the Enterprise's back. Right? Always, no yeah. matter what. You stole yeah. the ship, but you are data, so mm-hmm. it's fine. Well, yeah. you did get a guy killed, but you are Wesley, so yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, and you lied about it, too. But, uh, you know, you're Wesley. But you're, but you're still Wesley. You're our Wesley. Exactly. Yeah. 
Man, and uh, poor Ben, uh, because, look, 24th century civilian clothing, still a challenge, (laughs) still a challenge. Um, I I do actually, I really like that we have a little detail about a civilian on board, though. We we should have had more of that all along, I feel. Yeah. Because, you know, as you mentioned in in the intro today, you've got a thousand people, more than a thousand people on board. We really see seven, maybe if you include Lieutenant Junior J, like eight each week. (laughs) Um, You know. And even they're walking through corridors, there's nobody there. And I get it, that that's a, a constraint of the budget to make a weekly TV show. Mm-hmm. But um, how cool would it be if we had more run it? Like there's the guy in the uh, blockbuster uniform, the khaki <laughs> pants and the red shirt. We had that guy once. Yeah. Wow. You know? What a difference he made. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a difference. Sorry. <laughs> Somebody right now is laughing their head off, and they know exactly why. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to put that earworm in your head too. But yeah, wow, what a difference! Look it up. <laughs> yeah, I will say it is wonderful. It is wonderful to see a character like Ben get some more screen time. I mean, mm-hmm. they're always saying hi to him. You know, he's always good for a laugh. Who is Ben? <laughs> you remember Roy from uh, The Simpsons? Do you remember Roy from The Simpsons? Uh, no. He was no, the character. He was a no. great character. He mm-hmm. was the character that they added during the episode where Itchy and Scratchy added Poochie. Okay. Okay. So so Itchy and Scratchy, their, the readings were failing. Yeah. And so they said, we're going to add Poochie. And Lisa says, oh, this is just one of those cheap things they do. Either add like a new character or a baby or something like that. And then Roy wanders in and he's like, hey, Mrs. S. And it turns out Roy's <laughs> been living in the room above their garage. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly for all eight seasons, I think, at the time that we had seen The Simpsons at that point. Nice. Yeah, Ben is Roy is Ben. By the way, both Poochie and Roy were gone by the end of the episode. Yeah. So that may be a Ben thing, although I do actually suspect that Ben might also be the devil. Oh, whoa. Yeah, I know, whoa. right? Yeah, because he's wow. tempting Deanna with dessert. Mm-hmm. Tempting. Mm-hmm. He's stirring up trouble between Cito and Lavelle because that's like that was really terrible. Actually, like, did you hear what they were talking about? Yeah, I did, but I don't think you're gonna like it. You two are in competition for the same job oh, and may end up hating yeah. each other forever. <laughs> also, he is seemingly familiar to everybody, even though nobody has ever seen him before. I'm, I love it. I'm it, saying there's like Joss Whedon stuff going on here. <laughs> I don't think he's evil. See, when you mentioned it, when you put it in the context he did, I was thinking like uh, like a Cousin Oliver type. <laughs> I was also thinking about like a Ted McGinley. Ted McGinley? You know? What about yeah. Ted McGinley? You just, you know, if you're having trouble with the show, you just work in a Ted McGinley and then, you know, pretty much you're going to be off in about six more episodes. So you're telling so. me then that we are actually going to see Ben again? Oh, God, I wish. Because, you wish. see, that's the thing. That's the difference. You, you say what you want to about Cousin Oliver. He got mm-hmm. more than one shot. Yeah, okay, true. Yeah. Say what true. you want about Ted yeah. McGinley. All six episodes, he's part of it. But, but then the show's gone. <laughs> that's, then the okay. show's I understand gone, what you're so. saying. I understand what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Luckily, Ted was not played. I'm sorry, Ben was not played by Ted McGinley, which means uh, we have so much more next gen. <clears throat> yeah, next gen with Ben. <laughs> yeah. Too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too soon. Um, I love Jordy making up the reason why Tarek is firing at the shuttle. Because um, I just kept thinking, let's put that in the real world for a moment. Just, it, you know, it, it's 
it's it's you know France. You're you're on the the front lines in 1944, and there there's a, a general telling a soldier, yeah, just just unload your weapon all over that jeep. It's how we test it out in the field. Exactly. That's that's what yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. Whose idea was it to involve the uh, purely logical Vulcan and the completely illogical? <laughs> You know, whatever. I mean, that was just, it was mm-hmm. so bad. Unless he's laughing. If he's a laughing Vulcan, just he's hes up for any level of crazy you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, just the whole, like, oh, we're testing the hull. Like, really? Yeah. Really? Because, yeah. like, a four-year-old Vulcan would know that this is highly illogical. <laughs> so you're saying they should have given Tarek to Data, maybe make that his problem well i just get somebody else to help out with this i mean i couldn't help noticing how little lieutenant junior j was doing here by the way really ah, just fantastic okay. fantastic by the way it's like they so 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 there's tracy mm-hmm. and she's like so what's next week's episode about and somebody says oh we're gonna get to know the characters that we never talked to and she's like yes, yes. goodness and they're yes. like oh about that yeah <laughs> Oh. Uh, man man uh, yeah I, you know it hurts she got it she, hurts. she got paid i'm, I'm sure yeah. she got paid but yeah. wow you know yeah. she must have been like yeah i know it's great they, they finally talked to uh they finally talked to all the characters we never talked to and her mm-hmm. mom's like oh honey this is good <laughs> and she's like <laughs> you'd think so wouldn't you mom mm-hmm. I, I can mm-hmm. see where you'd think that and uh yeah, yeah don't gather everybody around Hey, uh, there's a great little production detail that I noticed that I really, really like. During the poker games, because you had the two concurrent scenes, they were jumping back and forth between you know, the, the junior officers and then the senior officers. Yeah. The background noise. So, obviously, if you've seen any clips of the show uh, without any of the sound effects, it's just a, a very bare, empty room. <laughs> that's that's the sort of ambient noise that you have, right? So they have to add in these layers of noise under every single scene. And it's not just the obvious stuff like the, the beeping and, and scanners and stuff on the bridge, but just in the corridors, in somebody's room, you have like a low hum, like engines and air conditioning and all that stuff happening around them. And it's a different background noise between the two poker games. Kind of give you a little audible clue as to which game you're in when they just start with like a close-up of the chips or a close-up of the uh, the, the cards or something like that. Um, and I did note as a little louder and a little higher pitched for the junior officers. I'm thinking that they, well, they have the rooms that are noisier <laughs> than the senior officers. They're below you know? decks, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fun fact, by the way, a lot of people don't know this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do the same thing for this show. Mm-hmm. When you hear like an airplane, like flying over in the background <laughs> or like a, a helicopter, maybe, mm-hmm. or, yeah. or a train in the distance, because, you know, everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance, John. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's true. Just add those in. Yeah. I just add, yeah. add a little, it adds a little realism because otherwise, yeah. you know, perfectly antiseptic, like totally quiet rooms and that we record in. I do that for the people. I, I loved it when you added in the one that was the uh, the beeping of the smoke detector where the battery was dying. <laughs> that was that was really that was inspired. That one that was, that was like a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that went on mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah, people were crazy about that one. Mm-hmm. I think crazy yeah. is probably the word for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, here's an interesting note. 
Uh, Picard violated a treaty by launching a probe into Cardassian space. But he's Picard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we know him. We know Picard. So that's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about the Picard who was, um, oh, you know, really tearing into Nikolai not too long ago about uh, how dare you violate something as prime as, say, the prime directive by saving these people. And now this week, uh, we have one crew member wow. who's missing, and she's really important to us. Yeah. How about I violate a treaty to get her back? Okay, in fairness, mm -hmm. Nikolai violated the prime directive. Picard is violating oh. a subsequent directive. Just a treaty. It's just a treaty <laughs> it's, it's with just, people who could destroy us. Right. It's yeah. just a thin membrane separating us from uh, mm -hmm. all-out war. But, yeah, you know, it's just going to poke a little hole in the membrane. Just, so, just a probe-sized hole. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it'll be mm -hmm. fine. Have we ever seen the captain announce a death over the PA system before? I mean, in next gen. You know? uh, um, only on April Fool's Day. Okay. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> no, please, no. Um, no, no, no. And, and interesting, he's basing it on reports. I feel like if it had been another crew member, would there have been way more attempts at confirming that before calling the death? And I know that's not what this episode is about. Had it been another episode and had, say, data been missing for 30 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours, then... We're just going to keep going until the end of the episode until we get them back. Yeah. Um, well, you're talking about you're talking about though the realities recurring characters, right? I mean, let us not mm -hmm, forget mm -hmm. that um, Captain Jordy's mom, yeah, and her yeah. whole crew were just like in you know gone. And Starfleet was like, oh, it's a whole ship. It's so yeah, but it's a whole week. All right. Well, we'll look for six days, but then we're yeah, then, right. then we're good. Right. By the way, there was some debate during production on this episode about whether or not Jaxa was really dead and how definitive they would make that. So you, you kind of have two instances. You have the discovery of the debris. Then you have the, the voiceover of Picard saying, we intercepted Cardassian reports that, that said that a Bajoran prisoner was killed. Um, Michael Piller, in particular, wanted to bring her back and had planned to introduce a plot line in Deep Space Nine where it would have been revealed that she was still alive. But um, Jerry Taylor was the one who wanted to make this much more definitive to drive home the drama on the episode. Interesting. Now, you say Deep Space Nine. Oh, it's... Hey, just, just stick around. St stick with me for another, like, three months or so. Uh, things, will, things will get interesting. Ben has been so central to this show. Remember that time Riker was completely broken up about the relationship between Worf and Troy? Come to think of it. Remember the relationship between Worf and Troy? Anyway, Ben was there. I hope I'm not giving too much away here. I there's not I don't know that there's a whole lot to talk about with this episode. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, th there are things happening. Yes. But but it's all pretty much on the surface. Yeah. Even though they're sneaking around with the plot, <laughs> pretty much the character stuff is all right there on the surface. Yeah. So, like, when we go into, like, to try to do, like, the sort of the deeper dive thing, mm -hmm. like, there was a thing that happened very early in the episode that I was not a fan of. I didn't like the fan. Well, I didn't like the fact that Cedo. 
um, basically had to make Lavelle feel better about the fact that she's being considered for a position ahead of him. Hmm. Right? Because, like, she's sitting at ops, and she's mm-hmm. like, hey, things went really great. And he's like, eh, I don't guess so, because if things had gone good, I'd be sitting where you are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, because you automatically deserve it. Yeah, you're right, Lavelle. Way to go. Um, the, the thing is, though, if this is going to be a male-female dynamic, it's it's really a, a no-win scenario. Uh, so I'm, I wish there was a good name for, like, a no-win scenario. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But it really is kind of like a no-win for the writers. Um, I mean, a woman having to make a man feel better is, you know, sexist. Like, that's her job, to make the man feel better. Mm-hmm. But then if the man ends up having to make the woman feel better, it's condescending. Oh, I'm sorry. That means talking down to people, John. (laughs) That's my favorite joke. I love that joke. I know. Every time. Every time. That's one of my favorites. What's my other one? What's my other favorite joke? Ah, It'll come to me. I'll tell you later. Anyway. My other one I can't say on air. Well, I look forward to hearing that later then. Um, So so I guess what I'm saying is maybe they should have had like a, you know, a a well-trusted actor or character, you know, maybe have Ben do this or something. Hmm. But yeah, but even then, it's just, I mean, there's not, I don't want to say there's no there, here, or here, there. Um, that's a tiny little thing that, like, sort of bothered me. And then I'm like, and uh, otherwise, I'm ready to jump to the, to the like, conclusion, which is not well, to say well, we should stop. I'm just saying, it's like, no. there's not, there's not... This is not a Nikolai situation. This is not, yeah. you know, one of those things where, like, should Data tell his robot mom she's a robot? Right. <laughs> you know I mean? right. It's, it's right. sort of like, okay, so that's happening. Okay, now that's happening. And we're done. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, maybe, uh, honestly, there's just a, a, a rewrite and us having, you know, perfect 2020 hindsight on this. <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> maybe there's just a little rewrite to do where you can still set it up the same way. Uh, Cito gets to take ops and Lavelle feels a little weird about that. And then uh, what does she have to say? She just says, say, hey, look, we're both qualified. I'm sitting here now. Right. You'll probably sit here next shift. Right. <laughs> Chill. You know? I mean, even even you're saying it like that. I'm still mm-hmm. like, it, this really almost probably wasn't even worth bringing up. It was like while mm-hmm. I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's kind of icky. And then it was over. Yeah. And I was like, uh, eh, all right. Hey, I remember my okay. other favorite joke, by the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Two. Two who? To whom? Yeah. Boom. Yeah, I like Got that it. one. Yeah. yeah that's it's good. especially okay. good when you can actually deliver the joke. Yeah. That's <laughs> no, nice. Yeah. It's nicely done. Okay, look, since you started out with something that you did not like, that you just found eye-roll worthy. It's not even th- it's not even that big a deal, though. That's the thing. I okay, well, like- I, I'm going to give you something that to me is a bigger deal. Okay. Then. And that's the whole subplot with Nursagawa. No. Oh. So, yeah, I, I, we, we start out with the, the fact that they're all concerned about their promotions, which yeah. is fine, which is great. I think we can all relate to that. And then you kind of undermine that by having her go to Dr. Crusher, who just must be the coolest out of all the senior staff, because she's like, oh, yeah, you don't have to wait. Uh, we're done. <laughs> You're going to be a lieutenant. Okay, cool. See you. But right. then it turns into this thing about her boyfriend 
And then by the end of the episode, which is only occurring over the course of like a day or two, they're engaged. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just it played so false to me <laughs> and so uninteresting. And, and it also I, I'm sitting here looking at this character. Nurse Agawa has been around for a while in the series, even though she's yeah. not a super prominent role. And I looked up uh, Patty Yasutake when this was shot, I want to say that she was like in her late 30s mm-hmm. when this episode was filmed. And I kept thinking, this is a conversation for like a 14 year old. Oh, well, my boyfriend was busy, so I feel bad about that. And I need to talk to uh, a mother figure about it. And I'm like, she didn't need to talk to her. No, she didn't even need to talk to her. There was a, no, I was, was going to talk no. about this later in the episode, but I mean, as far as the recap thing, but I want to say mm-hmm. this is like the second or third time that Beverly has sort of inserted herself into Ogawa's personal life. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. like whoever is writing these scenes seems to be thinking, what do women talk about? Oh, I know men. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really seems to be, it's like, these are two medical professionals. These are two grown women. And, and, and the only thing they can talk about is, so you see anybody? And it's like, uh, yeah. 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 It it just, I, I hated that scene. And then I hated that it had a conclusion. <laughs> right. It's like, well, we, we better wrap this up with a bow. Okay. They're engaged now. Like, oh, it's really? fine. Well, I mean, that's yeah. that's fine. I mean, if that's all, you, if that's all you're going to give her as far as your subplot, oh. you know, I mean, she could yeah. actually. It's 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 sort of. I would have been better if they hadn't like you know had anything for that first scene, and then like later in the episode, it like you know Beverly could be like, "So how you doing?" And a gal could mm-hmm. be like, "Well, I'm wrecked because like one of my <laughs> best friends is maybe dead now, and also we sent her away with a Cardassian." Yeah, you know, no. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's uh, let's give her a fake boyfriend oh, <laughs> instead. I, I just, yeah, it, it was really, you know, look, this is a tough thing about where we are in next gen because we've had so much. We're approaching the end of the entire series, and not only that, but are we? Are we? I think we're at the halfway point for the season. I think for, we're probably further seven. than that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and um, and you just feel like. This is not the time to be inventing business for the characters. And when I say business, just sort of random little character things that help you round out a character. We're 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 past that. We we don't need that here. And it, it just all of it irritated me uh, to no end with with that character in particular. I'm really not kidding though. This seems to be the default position for Ogawa between Beverly and Ogawa, uh, and I don't know why that is. Because I, I know, but 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 here's the thing: that was okay. That that was okay a while ago. No, it wasn't. Okay. I, well, it not, wasn't not, okay not even then okay. Not, yeah, no, right. no, no, I, I, yeah, no. I take that back. It, it wasn't. It wasn't okay in the sense that this is an okay scene. But I, I had an easier time with that being a thing that they buried into a character interaction a year or two ago than in this. This is the time for these characters in this episode to have center stage, and if. All the the best that we can do for this character who has been around is just a rehash of the same kind of conversation that she had with Beverly a year or two ago. That's lazy and horrible. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Here's another kind of weird thing. Um, Everybody's sneaking around and playing games with each other. It doesn't feel so much like... um, 
the the hunt to promote the best officers it felt like the senior officers was playing a game with their underlings like we're gonna mess around with them and be sneaky like everything is a test everything really starfleet is still this dramatic about everything i mean they're dramatic about like not announcing who's beaming up and you know opening a door and not expecting to see that person um but but i guess uh, on the the good end of it this episode is a pretty good example of why conspiracy theories fall apart upon examination like as soon as more than two people know about something the whole thing starts to unravel and and here you've got four people all with a little piece of the story. I, I'm telling you, they're, they're going to talk to each other at some point. They, they, they have a death of their friend to contend with. Yeah. Well, I think they can talk about it now. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, was still, it was still a secret mission, though. That's true. That's true. But they know what they know. And they'll probably, I would imagine they're going to go ahead and talk about it anyway. I mean, that would be my guess. I could be wrong about that, though. Um, mm-hmm. There, there are a few things I will say really quickly with mm-hmm. with Worf, and honestly, we're hitting point after point after point that I was going to hit in the recap. So we'll come back to all of this. I'm afraid. Yeah, right, right. Um, uh, for Worf to make everything a test for Cedo made sense to me. For Picard to do it did not. That yes. that that just did yes. not ring true at all. Um, yeah. Now that you've said your whole thing about the flair for the dramatic, though, and like you know, not knowing who's behind the door before it opens. Mm-hmm. I just I just want to see David S. Pumpkins on an episode of Next Gen. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, and then yes. just be like, I I don't know what that was. Not since Pat mm-hmm. was on the was on the uh, <laughs> right. was on the Enterprise have I been as perplexed, right, right, as what just happened. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So you mentioned Worf, and you you mentioned Cito, mm-hmm. and that raised a question to me. The more I rewatched this episode, what exactly is Worf's interest in Insensito? And, and, and look, I'm not saying that it's inappropriate. I, I didn't get a, really a creepy vibe off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just saying that I've never seen Worf that emotionally invested in, say, like, Alexander's well-being. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem is with the, with an episode like this, you're you're building up relationships that don't actually exist, right? Ah, mm-hmm. that Lavelle's always bothered me ever since you know the beginning of this episode, <laughs> right? 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 That's Riker, and you know, and I mean, the one thing what's and and this goes back again to the it's weird. You're right. It's it's especially weird how how surface the relationship is between uh, Beverly and and Alyssa. Yeah, because they have actually known each other for quite a while, and yet there's there's less in that relationship of these one-off characters or with these one-off characters than there is with anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. I'm actually I'm right. getting more insulted by that now. The more we talk about it. <laughs> well, okay, I do. I, I like Jaxa standing up to Picard. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that she. I don't necessarily like the way they go about it, but I like that she learned something and she's like, uh, okay, I need to sort of get myself together and and take this on again. I, I hate that it felt like a test because that just seems weird and inappropriate. But um, but I like that she gets herself together to go stand up to him again. And it is a good question. Should she be judged or should he be judging her for her past actions or judging her for her performance now. It's the same person. It wasn't that long ago. We're talking about three years. And like you said, the the unfair part of this is that, well, he knows Wesley. 
So right. Leslie just needs a good talking to him. We know that he'll be fine. Um, so what is it a matter of the distance of time? Is it a matter of uh, accomplishments in between? What, what are the things that we can use to then fairly rejudge that person? Well, Picard actually did say that he thought that she should have been bounced, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, right. I'm a believer in the idea of you giving people second chances, but they did do something that was expressly forbidden and did get a guy killed. Yes. And then covered that up. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere along the way. Pretty much as bad as it can get. Yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah. That's not to say she wouldn't have anything to offer ever again, but I would think at that point that she would be bounced out of the academy. So it's quite yeah. possible that he was speaking honestly. Well, no, except he said later that the reason that she's on the ship is because he brought her on the ship because he wanted to make sure that she had a fair shot. Yeah. I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. Well, I mean, they all should have been bounced. Wes should have been bounced. Uh, Paris, who wasn't really Paris, but Paris should have been bounced. <laughs> right. uh, Cito shouldn't have been bounced. I mean, they really... I'm going to go on a limb and say if you do something in school that gets one of your classmates killed... Yeah. And then you lie about that. Yeah. As you're going into the military wing of the Federation or mm -hmm. any place. I'm thinking, yeah, if you do something at school that gets one of your classmates killed, probably expulsion would be the way to go. Yeah. Probably not going to get a cherry position on the flagship. Probably not. Of the Federation. Except, yeah. except that Picard did take, he did take an interest. I mean, it, it's weird to me. Okay. So that's, that's two then. So there's Wesley and there's Cedo. I mean, mm -hmm. again, uh, Paris was the one. Lacarno? Was it Lacarno? Yeah. Ooh, wow. Wow. Good. You're really good. Uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Lacarno was bad all the way through. Yeah. And so he loses his you know position because he was bad and he, it showed no sign of redemption. Um, I don't know. I mean, they, they seem to sort of decide at that point that everybody was going to get a second chance. Yeah. You In these times in particular, you raise a very interesting question here, though. There's, um, hmm, the idea of redemption is kind of an interesting one, right? It was, uh, was it um, Dennis Miller, not Dennis Miller, Dennis Leary on his album, No Cure for Cancer. Mm. He was like, I'm already planning my big Coke-filled bender. You know, where I like crash a car and maybe kill a guy and then, you know, go away for 28 days and end up on the cover of People magazine. Sorry. Right. I mean, there, right. there's an interesting, I mean, there's, it's weird to figure out who we're going to forgive in society and how we're going to forgive whoever we're going to forgive in society. Mm -hmm. um, and it's especially strange, though. You're right. It's especially strange in this episode. It's like, okay, you were training, like lives are going to depend on what you do. Right. The, the peace of the galaxy may actually depend on what you do. So listen, don't get one of your coworkers killed again, okay? <laughs> right? And if you do, really don't cover it up because because you know someday this might be important. Yeah. Now there is a, a, a smart thing that comes out of that. Uh, Worf says it takes courage to say the test is unfair, mm -hmm. and I thought, isn't that what Kirk figured out about the Kobayashi Maru? Well, but you know that about the Kobayashi Maru going in, don't you? You know it's a no-win scenario. Well, see, I wondered how much of the Kobayashi Maru people are supposed to know before they actually go into it. You think everybody's keeping that secret? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> as we see in Star Trek, uh, secrets are kept to varying degrees of success. Yeah, <laughs> so that'd be awesome, though. Yeah. If you like, if you get all the way to like, you're serving on a starship now, and they're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. time for your test." And like, "Oh, what? What is the test?" Oh, nothing. It's, it's, yeah, right. It's fine. We all aced it. Um, I I do like uh, some of the stuff between Riker and and Lavelle. Uh, We know that Riker, well, we know him as a pretty well-rounded person, Mm -hmm. but Lavelle only sees the uniform and is intimidated by him, which uh, it's it's a nice little way to illustrate that. Because we we've seen Riker, we've seen Riker just kind of chilling at, at home with the you know the deep V cut and uh, watching women playing the lute. Right. So you know we we know him in in many ways, but but it, it was nice to see somebody who doesn't know him that way and kind of be all thumbs in the in the process of trying to get to know him as a person. So there was something charming and and realistic about that. Um, although interesting that Lavelle would say that he sleeps in his uniform. And I'm like, you know what? You, you're not that far off because uh, he's the guy who says that his work is his life. So there may be something to be said for that. I will never forget the time Ben saved the Enterprise from total destruction. And the time Ben won Picard back from the gamblers of Octalion. Without Ben, I do not know what this show would be. So a little bit earlier, John, I let people in on some of the behind-the-scenes that goes on in producing Mission Log. And I was talking about the uh, the, the added layers of sound effects that I bring in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really and clever. By the way, that car earlier, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... I feel like bringing, uh, letting people in uh, a little bit more, though, behind the scenes. Okay. I was feeling a tiny bit like a jerk that I didn't have much to talk about in the third segment. The one where we really talk about, you know, the, sort of the mm-hmm. deep, you know, sort of meaty, uh, sort of uh, chewy mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and other things that end in Y. Yeah. Uh, the Wednesday stuff. about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, and and then you you had a lot more, and I thought, man, I just feel like a layabout. I feel like a like a loser. Like I didn't come up with it. I wasn't paying enough attention. Uh, you pretty much did the recap <laughs> in segment three, so I don't feel so bad yeah. about that anymore because you're kind of going through and saying like, oh yeah, but I like this about this. I like this about this, which is you know what I had planned to do in this segment, and uh, and and what I plan to do still. All I'm right. curious though, having already done the uh, having already done the <laughs> summation, how you're going to pull it off. So, if you would please, Mr. Champion, because uh, for people who don't know, and yeah. I, I would imagine there might be one, maybe uh, this is the part of the show where we do the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, in that vein, sir, uh, your summation, your thoughts on Lower Decks, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, all right, so I, I guess to start out with a little bit of an apology then. And, and funny enough, because, you know, last week we did Sub Rosa, which is at the same time one of the most reviled episodes of Next Gen. And yet, and yet, we hear from people who say, oh, this is my favorite. Hmm. So, look, that, that's just, that's the way Star Trek is. And, and when you have anything that has that big of an audience... 
People are going to love an episode. People are going to hate an episode. And, and every episode will be somebody's favorite and somebody's least favorite. So <laughs> I say that in preface to what I'm about to say about Lower Decks. I know this is a fan favorite. And I know this is a great idea. And maybe in 1994, I was far more excited about this episode. For me right now, though, this is an idea that's better on paper than it is in execution. Hmm. So I love the idea of exploring life on the Enterprise with people other than the main crew. Like, say, some guys peeling potatoes. What? That, that, that might be a great episode. <laughs> that might be you a know? great series. It might be, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the problem with the way this episode was done, I really never felt invested in any of these characters. Um, certainly not Ogawa. And we've seen more of her than anyone else out of these three. Mm -hmm. You know, although it was a little more dramatic introduction when we first met in Sincito. But we've seen less screen time of her than, than we have Ogawa. Mm -hmm. It all felt very superficial. And, and again, that Ogawa subplot is just terrible. It, yeah. it, it's, it's painful. Um, but here's the thing. Even though I don't love this episode as much as many other people do, I still think it holds up. And, and only because it adds a little something to life on the Enterprise. You know, the, the, the story is interesting. The idea you have this Cardassian spy and then you have, a, you know, weaving around some other stuff with with characters that are new and trying to figure out how things work on the Enterprise. That stuff works for me to an extent. I think the actors are fine. I wish we had more episodes with Ben mm. because that's just an interesting idea. To, to have a civilian who who kind of weaves between the the lower officers and the senior officers, I think that's a cool idea that should have been explored already. Well, um, we did have more episodes with Ben. His name was Guinan. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I'm not kidding. Right. I mean, honestly, I, we'll come back to that in a second. But I mean, we did have we did have that, and and you know, kind of a bummer that we don't hear. But I'm sorry. You, you yeah, no, no. Um, uh, something that I really do like about this episode is keeping the storyline about the Cardassian hidden. Um, from mm. the moment Picard comes on, we know there's a mission, but we're only getting pieces of it. So it's nice to put the audience in the shoes of those lower crew members. Um, th that's a cool little bit of storytelling that isn't ever done on Star Trek. You know, you pretty much know what's going to happen from the outset. You pretty much know who's who and what the mission's going to be, even though that mission might throw you for some some changes as you go along. Mm -hmm. But it's rare that you would just see the captain say, senior staff meeting now, we're going to this place, but then have no idea what any of that is about. Right. So, so there are many elements about this that I like. And like I said, I, the, the idea on paper is fine. I, I just wish this had been something else. So this is, I think this is probably a first for me. I think this is not a really good episode. And, and I think there's a lot of junk that should have been cut out from this episode. But I'm actually going to say it holds up. Because it's nice to see this change in Star Trek and just breaking the mold and being something different for once. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I can I cannot love it, 
but still sort of appreciate it at the same time. Not going anywhere near the top of the list. This is not one that I would sit down and show to somebody who's new to Star Trek by any by any stretch. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, that's that's where I fall on this one. How about you? I'm I'm in a similar spot, I think. I think I probably liked it a bit more than you did. Um, mm-hmm. I really love Riker's disdain for Lavelle <laughs> because Lavelle is just too much like Riker for Riker's taste. I mean, yeah. he's like yeah. Thomas Riker light. Yeah. Um, and there's a great moment, though, and it's cute. They didn't make a big deal of it. It's easy to miss. But in the last scene, uh, when he's going to sit with his friends after they've lost Cito, he pulls the Riker maneuver. Oh, yes. Which, yes. Was, which is great. Yes. And it's not a big deal. And he's not as showy about it. <laughs> <laughs> as Riker right, is, right. but I mean, it's, it's I mean, to to sort of illustrate their similarities, and to, and for that to be the reason that they, you know, that Riker can't stand Lavelle. I love that. I get that. Um, I think I said earlier, Picard's test of Cedo rings hollow. Worf's test of Cedo is spot on. I yeah. mean, that is absolutely the kind of thing that he would do, and she took that test like a warrior. It was it was the it was the <laughs> result of a warrior, or however you would say that. Um, we probably haven't hit this enough. I don't think of Ogawa as lower decks. Um, mm. I'm actually kind of bothered that, that, I mean, it's almost insulting now uh, to this character, to women, and to nurses that she is, like, you know, however many seasons later, she's like, oh, she's still starter. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever knew what her rank was, nor did I ever care until we get to this episode. Um I don't understand why every conversation between Ogawa and Crusher throughout TNG fails the Bechtel test. All they talk about is men. I mean, if they're not talking about, like, somebody's burns or somebody's lacerations, if they're not talking about their work, which is, you know, med tech to med tech, then they're like, so, you seeing anybody? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's kind of awful. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's great that they're not just talking about work, but then all they're talking about is boys. So, I don't understand. Oh, and then also there was a weird thing in that scene. Um, where, like, Beverly asks Ogawa about the man she's dating and then keeps working. <laughs> right. And it's not until she hears there might be trouble that she's like, oh, we'll sit down. And then they start talking. But it's like, why Why did you bring this up? <laughs> you're not even going to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I can tell you're busy. So I'm not going to ask the question that you stopped me from doing my work to do. Um, and then the last thing I would say is Ben really should have been Guinan. I mean, the only other character we have like Guinan, I know, I don't, I don't know why we don't have Whoopi Goldberg anymore. I don't know why mm-hmm. we didn't have her in this episode. The only other character like Guinan that we've seen more than once is Mott, the barber. Um, and that wouldn't have worked, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, Guinan, I mean, I, I would believe Guinan because we know that she talks to Will. We know that she talks to Deanna. We know that she talks to all these characters and, you know, but they're not in 10 forward all the time. And so we have to know that she talks to other people as well for all of a sudden to be this character who's on a first name basis with Riker, who we've never seen before. And we're never going to see again. That was sort of a I I wish they had gotten Whoopi Goldberg back for this, which may sound, you know, crazy or whatever. But I mean, that would have that would have absolutely sold this episode for me. As opposed to, you know, having the Roy slash Poochie character, you know, show up who's, oh, he's been our friend the whole time and he's gone now. Can yeah. We, can right. we talk about him? All that said, I really do like this episode, probably because of the um, upstairs, downstairs feel because mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. it's showing the two enterprises. 
Um, the the weakest part to me is I wish the bridge between them had actually been a bridge that we knew instead of uh, instead of this Baden character, whoever he is. None of that really gets in the messages, though. Were there messages as far as you're concerned, sir? I mean, it's not a heavy message episode, but but there are some things in the action that are interesting. Um, uh, Insensito has to face her challenges, face her challengers, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of redirect her tactics when she does that. So I, I think that's uh, kind of a, a valuable lesson there. Um, also, uh, workplace gossip will ruin things, um, or, or, or though it, it might actually help in some case. I, you know, maybe uh, maybe these three remaining uh, uh, after the death of Cito, maybe they actually need to talk things out. Um, hmm. Maybe maybe keeping all those secrets isn't actually going to help them. Um, but there is something that I do like here that that's that the the senior and junior officers start to see each other as people, not just ranks. Um, and that is something of value from this episode. Like it, it's played in a funny way between Lavelle and Riker. Um, it's played in a little more poignant way between uh, Worf, Picard and Sito. Um it's played in a totally disposable way with Beverly and Ogawa because we've already seen that mm-hmm. before. Um, and it is played in the uh, Jordy and uh, Tarek. Tarek, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's played a little better in the Jordy and Tarek role because they, they actually have some resolution toward the end instead of just being this annoying guy, which, yeah, Tarek may still annoy Jordy. But kind of toward the end, Jordy is like, hey, we're going to work together. Right. Um, so th- th- there's something nice to see in that. And then see uh, Worf sort of, uh, it- it's not his pride that he has to get over, but his his hurt and maybe his uh, discomfort a little bit to actually go sit down with uh, with the rest of the junior officers and maybe maybe hash out his feelings a little bit. So um, that's good. I do like I do like seeing all that happen. Yeah. 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 Well, Alexander's not around, so he can, you know, he can be as as full of the feels as he wants to be. I guess so. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about you? Anything else? Uh, about the only other thing that I picked up, and it only it's it's for like one minute in Act Five, but uh, there's a great Star Trek message, you know, in all of this. Like our enemy may be just as war weary as we are. Mm, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a thing. It's just like you know. It, it, that's actually an amazing scene to see where that has not been part of it, right? Like like yeah. like it, the the Cardassian's been a secret the whole time, I guess in Act four, the Bajoran sees the Cardassian. and we re- I mean we've we've had a little bit of a taste of what that actually how momentous that is um, mm-hmm. on TNG. I can't remember the um, ah, deep deep sea. Deep. Mm. What's yeah, the? Uh, I, there's another. There's another thing I hear that may <laughs> actually explore this a tiny bit more. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, it, it, I mean, still, even if you've never, even if you've got no, no pre anything, they actually wrote it well enough that you can see these people don't like each other. You can see these people don't trust each other. They lay out for him. So listen, if this goes bad, uh, you're going to be my prisoner. Right. Yeah. That, that's how we're yeah. going to sell this. So even if you don't have any of that, you know, sort of history. In in your own um, in your own database, your own mental database. I mean, they at least tell you enough right there. And then for these two people who we've been you know told in Act Four really should be lifelong enemies, to 
to say this whole thing has been stupid and has to stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of a neat uh, it's a neat message to see. Not an uncommon message for Star Trek, but a uh, but a fantastic message uh, message to see, um, nonetheless. Hardly the point of the episode, but uh, it's neat to find yeah. those little nuggets uh, uh, scattered about. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry is up to all kinds of things, including podcasts, multiple podcasts. You can check out more about our show, also Women at Warp and Priority One. Oh, and Mission Log Live at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support us directly, you can do that at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, thine own self. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Listen, I just realized. Ben is a character from Star Trek in another timeline. I think this timeline was the one with Guinan. Or maybe the one with Barbot 9000. Anyway, forget about Ben. He was just a figment of your imagination. Or something. End transmission. 